Thank you for tuning in to The Jeff Duden Show. Interested in learning more about something I referenced in the episode? Check out the show notes for links to content and more. If you enjoyed my podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Until next week, you can find me at jeffduden.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to The Jeff Duden Show. I am Jeff Duden, and I am so excited to be here today. On this show, we will talk about all sorts of topics, brand building, biohacking, leadership, and much more. Most often, I will be hosting a guest who is bringing us their expertise through experience. So let's jump right in. Today, I welcome Nick Friedman. Nick Friedman is the president and co-founder of College Hunks Hauling Junks and Moving the largest and fastest growing junk removal and local moving franchise opportunity in North America. Nick started the business in college with his childhood best friend in a beat up cargo van and has grown to over 100 franchises and $150 million in annual sales. He was named among the top 30 entrepreneurs in America under 30 by Inc. Magazine and was on the same list as Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and Michael Dell in a Newsweek article entitled College Kid to Millionaire. Nick is a three-time Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award finalist, and he won the prestigious award in 2018. He has been featured in numerous business books and textbooks, as well as Forbes, Fortune, and many other notable publications. Nick's company has appeared every year on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing companies and has appeared twice on The Oprah Winfrey Show. Nick is also a TV personality, having appeared as a guest on shows, including the first episode of ABC's Shark Tank, Bravo's Millionaire Matchmaker, and CNBC's Blue Collar Millionaires. He is also a board member of the Young Presidents Organization, YPO. As an author, Nick co-wrote a best-selling book entitled Effortless Entrepreneur, Work Smart, Play Hard, Make Millions. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me and uh, good to be here. Uh, your bio is so impressive and long. I'm, not, I'm sorry, we, we don't have any more time. I was going to say, I probably need to uh, give you the abbreviated bio next time. Oh, man. Thanks for giving me all the accolades. No, no, that's awesome. And I'm honored to have you here with us today. Somebody that I've really grown to respect and, and the way that you've built culture and team and used your values. I, I want to dig into that a little bit later. But first, let's talk, let's go all the way back. And, and for the entrepreneurs who are listening today, who we want to encourage, I'd love to know a little bit about how you got started. What what your experience was like as a child, where you grew up, and, and why don't we just go back and start there? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was always brought up to follow the more traditional career path. You work hard in school, you get good grades, uh, you get into college, you get a degree, you get a job, and you just kind of move up the corporate ladder. Uh, so certainly starting a business was never something that was uh, talked about or contemplated. Uh, but when I do look back, I, I definitely see some of the entrepreneurial uh, energy uh, that I was exhibiting in those early days. Uh, in some cases, you know, not wanting to sit still, wanting to talk and, and, and schmooze with my classmates, uh, being somewhat a little bit disruptive uh, during the, uh, the classroom uh, setting and, and, you know, not necessarily always fitting in, not necessarily always wanting to follow the rules or, or listen to authority. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, I'm very lucky that I didn't, you know, kind of fall off onto the wrong path because I think sometimes those entrepreneurial energies, if they're channeled for the forces of good, can be very productive. But if they're uh, sort of not uh, corralled, uh, they can be somewhat disruptive. And, uh, you know, one of the stories I would think about in high school is uh, we were at a high school football game 
and uh, our team wasn't very good that year, but we were winning the game. It was a big upset. I wasn't on the team. I was in the stands, and it was a Friday night game. It was at the uh, it was an away game for our school. We were at the uh, opposing team's field, and our team won the game, pulled off this big upset. And I remember before the game was over, my uh, basketball coach at the time, he said, you know what, Nick, I know you want to rush the field and do some sort of ESPN celebration like they do on TV. He goes, but when the game is over, do me a favor, stay off the field. Uh, and I had already been sort of thinking and spreading the, the, the word around the stands that we were going to run on the field and jump up and down if, if our team won. And sure enough, our team won the game. So I led the charge, kind of ignored my coach's uh, uh, warnings. And we all rushed on the field and my, my, I looked behind me and my business partner now, my best friend at the time, Omar Solomon, uh, was getting chased by one of the opposing team's players who was not happy about the away fans running onto their field. Uh, so I ran back to think I needed to save him somehow and, and came face to face with a you know, six foot five high school football player still in his full pads and helmet. I ended up slipping on my back and, and he ended up giving me a nice uh, cleat to the forehead. Uh, and, and I ended up with about 15 stitches in my head. So literally, uh, you know, I, I, you know, ignored coach's warning, jumped over the fence, tried to experience this great, you know, vision and ended up getting kicked in the head. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels to, between starting a business and, and what I did that night, because, you, you know, a lot of times you start a business, you're ready, you're firing, and then you're aiming after the fact uh, without having all of your ducks completely in a row. Sometimes it goes great uh, and many times it doesn't, uh, but being willing to sort of pick yourself back up the, off the ground and, and get back up and dust yourself off and hopefully learn from your mistakes and maybe realize uh, some of the uh, mistakes that you made could have been done differently uh, ultimately lead to the success, not just in business, but in life also. So that, that was one of my sort of, uh, I guess, uh, um, you know, juvenile delinquent decisions that, that went wrong for me. Uh, but again, was kind of just that entrepreneurial energy coming to surface. Many entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs fail to start. And we can find there's fear is around every corner and you can, you can find 10 reasons not to start a business for everyone that you can find started. I think whenever I'm towards the end of my career, I'm not sure when that's going to be. I think my last book's going to be too stupid to fail. Because when I look back at some of the entrepreneurial escapades that I've had in my career, it's, I just started and just started with the concept of an idea. And I would hope that when we start businesses, we're relatively informed and we have a plan that we, we have a sense that this is going to be a, a good deal, but you really can't fix anything until there's volume running through it and encouraging people to start. It sounds like that's what you're talking about is, is going ahead and taking a chance, trust yourself to take chances and figure it out, uh, get that parachute untangled on the way down. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I obviously, you know, I, I probably could have gone about the celebration differently that, that night. And, uh, uh, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's sometimes, you know, taking the risk, uh, stepping out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, the analogy I use in some of my talks is I say, you know, getting out of the stands as a spectator, getting onto the playing field uh, as a player, uh, you know, maybe putting your pads on first. So if you do get kicked in the head, it won't, you know, put you in the hospital. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm using all these sort of metaphors and analogies there, but there's so many parallels to, you know, just taking action and getting going when you have an idea. Because uh, it's the ideas that make, you know, it's the ideas, you know, maybe get people excited. But when you actually take an idea and turn it into a reality, that's when you're a creator. That's when you are an entrepreneur. 
Uh, and I actually didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant until we ultimately started our business uh, in college and, and kept it going after college. And people would say, oh, so you're an entrepreneur. Uh, and I would be looking and kind of scratch my head. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what that word means. Because, you know, again, it was nothing that we had ever really learned about or thought about or been taught growing up. You mentioned Omar, your business partner. Do you remember the first time you met Omar and how that, what happened? Yeah, well, I, you guys are going to think I'm, I was just this derelict in high school because I actually met Omar at in detention uh, of all places. Um, Breakfast club. Yeah, and uh, the, the reason why I was in detention, it was another sports story related. Uh, this time I was actually playing in the game. I was a basketball player uh, on, on the, the varsity basketball team. And we were playing against one of our team uh, rivals called the Murray Frogs. Frogs was their mascot. And they had this big foam mascot uh, uh, frog. And we were getting blown out. I was frustrated. And I was on the you know, sideline taking the ball out. And this big foam frog was sort of like kind of on the court almost like, you know, mocking me. Uh, and I could see him out of the corner of my eyes, big green head and hands. And so I ended up turning and, and smacking his big foam head. And, of course, he – he sold it. I think I'd watched too much Charles Barkley growing up, but the, the mascot really sold it. So I ended up getting detention for that. And uh, that's where I met Omar, who was a, a relatively new 10th grader. Uh, and we struck up a friendship. You know, he, he always likes to say that, you know, he saw that frog incident and that's when he knew he was like, you know, I really like this guy. I, he, you know, he's got, he's got some, some spunk to him. So uh, we, we struck up a friendship and, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of times you grow up and you have friendships and you, uh, you, you, we would talk about like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a business one day? Wouldn't it be cool if we got to work together one day? And then, you know, sure enough, you know, I'm looking at it, you know, 20 years later, uh, we've been in business together over 15 years, uh, you know, friends for, for over 20. And, and uh, you know, we, we, it's, it's been a phenomenal journey uh, having a partner where, you know, you have shared vision, values, communication, you can celebrate the highs together, uh, you know, we're not always in alignment with how we do things or, 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 or our approach to different things. Uh, but, uh, you know, having, having somebody in the trenches with you has actually been a, a fortunate blessing for me. After you met in high school, did you diverge for a time before you started the business or what, how did that happen going from high school to, to business partnership? Yeah. So he went to university of Miami in Florida. I went to a small school in California called Pomona college. And the summer before our senior year, uh, we were back in D.C. for summer vacation, and his mom had this beat-up cargo van uh, that she would use for her furniture store uh, that she had in D.C. And so she actually suggested to Omar, hey, why don't you take the van, make some money, you can move people's furniture, haul their junk away, uh, you know, you can get Nick to help you, because I had an internship that summer, and it was unpaid, so I was looking to make some extra money. And we actually credit Omar's mom. She was like, you know, you guys will be like the college hunks who haul junk. And we all laughed at it at first. And then we kind of looked at each other and we were like, that's got a catchy ring to it. So we shortened it. We called it College Hunks Hauling Junk and just put it in computer printout flyers around the neighborhood. And then our cell phone started ringing. People had a need for the service. They thought the name was catchy. Uh, and so that was like the first light bulb moment for me was, wow, you know, you can actually create something yourself uh, that pr provides a solution, a service, a product for, that helps people. And uh, you see the impact and they're willing to pay you for it. And so uh, we ended up going back to school our senior year of college. Omar wrote a business plan and it won an entrepreneurship competition at, at the University of Miami. So it gave us a little more confidence in the idea. And then when we graduated, we actually still got regular jobs. We were both back in D.C. And I remember, uh, you know, 
calling Omar up and being like, Hey, you know, what's our timeline to start this business on a full scale? Cause you know, this nine to five is, is, is killing me. And he, he was like, my timeline's right now. Let's do this. And of course there were a lot of skeptics, you know, people were saying, you know, you're going to quit your job to do what, you know, haul junk. And it, the company's going to be called what college hunks. Are you going to throw away your college degree to start a trash business? Um, and of course we use that, that doubt as kind of motivation to try to prove the, the, the doubters wrong. Uh, but, um, you know, ultimately, uh, when we started, we were doing all the work ourselves. So, you know, we were driving the trucks, we were hauling the junk, we were answering the phones. I always tell the story about how we had the 800 number on the back of our truck routed to our cell phone. And so people would call to complain about erratic driving and we'd be the one in the driver's seat answering the phone, apologizing, letting them know we don't condone that type of driving in our company. We'll tell those guys to be safer on the road probably fired ourselves three or four times that first summer uh, doing all the work ourselves and, and started to burn out. And one of our mentors uh, recommended to us a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, which is kind of a handbook for any startup entrepreneur uh, that really ought to read. They, they really ought to read. And the really key message in that book was work on the business, not just in it, you know, create systems and processes so that the business can grow. And so that was like the next, the next light bulb moment is, hey, if we're ever going to have another truck, let alone another location, we've got to start documenting how we do all of the things that we're just doing every day kind of uh, through, through instinct. So uh, that's kind of what put us on the path to eventually expand our truck fleet and eventually franchise the business. Nick, what did you study in college? So I studied economics and finance. Uh, you know, I went to a small liberal arts school, um, and that was the closest thing uh, that we had to sort of a business uh, degree. Um, a lot of theoretical stuff. I'll say that, you know, the theoretical uh, thinking, the critical thinking, the strategic thinking, uh, the spreadsheet analysis, all that stuff was pretty helpful for me. Uh, Omar studied business management and marketing. So he's, he's a little bit more visionary, creative. Uh, I, I came into the business a little bit more with the finance mind and the nuts and bolts. So we were able to kind of complement each other uh, pretty well in that regard. But uh, the job I got after college before we started the business full scale was at an economic a consulting company and I was applying my degree, but it just was not fulfilling for me. Those are two great degrees uh, back then. And especially now with mm -hmm. the way things have evolved, my son just graduated from Elon university with a degree in economics and finance as, as luck would have it. So interesting. Well, let's transition a little bit. Uh, so one question I have is Omar's mom, the naming rights, what's her percentage she gets every month for naming the company? You know what? Uh, that's the first time that we've ever actually been asked that question. Uh, you know, and, and, and she's never asked it, but you know. Well, we, I'll be calling her with yeah. representation. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I, you know, ho hopefully we got a uh, unlimited license uh, I, through, uh, through, through uh, you know, lineage, if you will. I, I'm, I suspect you probably do. But you did mention the van. And I've heard that you have the door of that original van in yeah, your we, office. Is that, we, is that true? We do. So this actually a sore subject with Omar because he wanted to keep the entire van as kind of a historic trophy memento. Uh, but this, you know, about eight or nine years ago, we were only into the business a couple years. We didn't have the warehouse space. It was just taking up so much space. And so we compromised. We had the van hauled away to scrap because it was broken down. It wasn't working anymore. And, and we held onto the door and one of the, the I think the driver's seat and we've got it encased in sort of a museum-like plexiglass. 
but anytime that van comes up, Omar's always like, you know, Babe Ruth wouldn't have thrown away his first bat that he hit a home run with. You know, we should have kept that van. We could have had it, you know, in front of our office building and, and uh, you know, up on a pedestal or whatever. So uh, I do feel kind of bad that we ended up throwing away the whole van, but, but we did hold, you know, as a, I guess as a junk hauler, I was in the mind of, uh, you know, purging stuff we didn't need. So we, we held on to the door and the, the, the chair for, uh, you know, for prosperity. You and Omar have a reputation of building a powerful culture at College Hunks. So that's a perfect segue because one of my favorite definitions of culture is it's an organization's memory and it lives in the stories and you curate stories and it sets the organizational boundaries for what's accepted, what's not accepted. It lives in the values that you, uh, that you take out of the business. You don't bestow them on a business. You, you look at the business and you, you extract the values from it, the things that are important to the type of business you are that are going to make you successful. And then the stories reinforce the values and they, they inform the new people to the organization uh, in a powerful way. What's, what's what matters and and how how the company has survived and how it's thrived so i'd love to talk a little bit about culture with you because that's a testament right there to the original it's a it's a nod to the to the original van it's it it brings uh it brings a story that probably gets shared with people when you're standing there in front of it talk to me a little bit about how culture has evolved you started with a partner so it's a negotiation and, you know, people say avoid partnerships and sinking ships, avoid them both. But what I've learned, especially as I've matured in my career, is how to be a good partner and the, the value of having a good partner. And uh, obviously, you and Omar have done an incredible job. Early on, as you started learning about, wow, we're going to be able to scale this business. How did you think about culture? Were there any intentional things you did to manifest the culture that you were looking for? Is there any stories you can share around that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you describe it as sort of the, the history book uh, or, or, or story book of a business, because uh, Omar used to describe a culture, uh, or, or a, I should say a business without a culture as a uh, picture frame without the picture inside of it. Um, and so, you know, you could have this great shiny facade of a brand, which is the frame, but if you don't have the internal uh, culture in place, uh, then, then it's hollow or it's, it's sort of empty. Uh, so we became students really of entrepreneurship once we got down the path of starting the business. And we would read books like Jim Collins, Good to Great, uh, where he talks about the difference between a good company and a great company is that good companies might have core values, uh, great companies live those core values. They use them as a litmus test for who gets hired, rewarded, recognized, and let go. Uh, he gives sort of a, a primer about how to create the core values for your business and then how to make sure that they get instilled and, and, and lived every day. So we did that exercise early on after reading that book. We came up with four core values for our business. Uh, building leaders is one of them. Always branding is one of them. Listen, fulfill, delight is one of them. And then uh, fun, enthusiastic team environment is the fourth. Uh, and the idea is, the goal is, at least aspirationally, is for everybody in the organization to not just know what those values are, but be able to explain what they mean, uh, maybe give an example of how they've been lived, which gets to your point about sharing stories, uh, sharing examples of, of core value stories. Uh, and it's, by, it's, it's intentional. You know, it's really culture by design. It's something that we try to reinforce. We do a daily huddle every single day with our team, and each day of the week, 
we review a different core value uh, and an example of how it's been lived in the past week. Uh, we give away core value awards at our annual franchise conference. Uh, and so those are all things that I think help drive the culture of the organization. And we have a slogan in our company. We say it's not, it's not what's on the walls, it's what's in the halls. Meaning it's not just what the words are that of those core values that I just said, but it's the people who embody those values and who actually live them. Uh, and you know, another slogan I've heard is, you know, you, your culture is what you tolerate. And so if you have people in the organization who don't fit those values or who don't represent those values, then that becomes your culture, the people that you allow to, make, to, to stay there. Uh, and culture drives behavior, behavior drives results. Uh, and ultimately, you want to have a results uh, organization because without mar you know profit margin, there's no mission, there's no purpose uh, you know to to be created, no value to to have for for the employees or customers. So uh, it's been an evolution for us. When we first started, we were very you know warm and fuzzy. Hey, let's be a culture-driven organization. But one of the things we lacked uh, was uh, a focus on performance and results. And I think in order to be a world-class organization, you kind of have to have both. You've got to have you know, the, the warm and fuzzy welcoming culture component, but you also have to recognize that your culture has to be performance-based results obsessed, we call it, um, because the soft stuff doesn't work if it doesn't have, you know, performance-based toughness. I think that was a, a quote from uh, Jack Welch and uh, from GE. And, and so uh, that's, I think, been the next evolution of our, of our company is, is, you know, having a, a culture that's welcoming, that's vibrant, that people want to be a part of, but people should want to be a part of a winning team. Uh, people should want to be a part of a team that, that improves and gets better and holds people accountable uh, and competes, not just with each other, but with the, you know, the external competition as well. And so we've tried to instill elements of that uh, along the way, uh, as well as those core values that I mentioned. I appreciate you speaking to that. That, that can't be talked about enough especially when you're encouraging entrepreneurs and they're looking out at the landscape of competitors. How do you compete? Culture, uh, culture and brand have really merged. You know, brand used to be what the marketing department would say to the public. This is, this is what we sell. This is who we are. And then culture was that little thing that you'd have to call somebody that worked at the company to figure out like what, what, what's it really like inside there. But with social media and things like Glassdoor, culture and brand have merged. And having a, having a, a, a strong culture, having an intentional culture that's been built specifically uh, it, with consideration of what the business is, who the people are, what the values are, is a powerful asset. And it'll attract employees and it'll attract customers and it'll attract, in our business, franchisees, because people choose who they want to be around. And people, uh, people look at the values and what the company stands for. And, and you, hear, you know, feels get deals, I will tell you. And people have to feel like they're going somewhere where people are, they know, like, and trust people that are yoked with uh, have built an environment somewhere they want to be. It, it feels right. Uh, maybe they've had a bad experience in the corporate world and they're just looking for somewhere that they can be, uh, they can be heard and they can put in uh, their effort and know that, that nothing's going to move on them. And yep. consistency builds trust and, and trust is everything. So I really appreciate the way that you've built it. And that leads to the success that you, you have. You're now a national franchise with over uh, I'm not sure what your location count is, but, uh, you know, hugely successful brand, very respected in the industry. 
and uh, you've talked a little bit about how you've built it. Uh, talk a little bit about as, as you as your business has scaled and as you've grown, what have been some of the things you've done to make the business simple and to make it repeatable? Yeah. So uh, one thing I want to make sure I, I touch on, because, you know, I think the way you describe the fact that brand and culture have merged, I had never heard of it described that way, but you're absolutely right. I, I agree. As, as you were saying, it, I was like, you know what, he's, he's 100% correct. Uh, the brand used to be what, what I would envision as the external uh, uh, elements of, of what's communicated to the customer and, and culture being internal. But nowadays, it's, it's, it's all fluid. It's, it's all transparent, and it all is reflective of, of, of one another. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, I actually picked, picked something up there, uh, uh, you know, here as we're chatting, um, you know, so to answer your question about simplicity, uh, one thing that we do, and again, you'll probably be able to gather from our conversation so far that we've been avid readers of entrepreneurship books and, and business books since having started the business. Cause, and I, and I'll be honest, I wasn't a, as you probably heard from the beginning of the talk, I wasn't a great student in high school and college. You know, I did what I had to do to, to, you know, get through it. Um, and, and, and get the grades, but I, I wasn't passionate or excited about the learning that we were doing. Once we started our business, I became a sponge with, when it came to entrepreneurship and, and business uh, development and, and business growth. So another book that was really impactful for us was a book called Traction uh, by Gino Wickman. And he's got a whole series that they call the, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS. And so we implemented uh, his entrepreneurial operating system uh, into our business. And it's, and it's kind of got six core components to it. It's got the vision component, the people component, uh, the data component, and, 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 you know, and so forth. And the idea is if you run your business with structure, with rhythm, uh, then you'll be able to have like a cadence to how your business flows. You'll have uh, pro procedures and processes that are documented. You'll have data and metrics that tell you how your business is doing. You'll have a way of evaluating your people and bringing on better people and making sure that your, your people are continuing to grow and, and develop. So we follow that system. There's a lot of different sort of business systems out there uh, that are similar or, 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 you know, variations of, of the EOS model that just happens to be the one that we followed. So what I would encourage entrepreneurs to do is, you know, it doesn't have to be EOS, but uh, one mistake we made in the early days is we tried to do like every book I'd read, I'd try to do everything in it. Uh, every conference I'd go to, my employees would roll their eyes because I'd come back with a binder full of notes and hand it to them and be like, we got to do all these things. Um, you know, you can't do it all at once. You got to sort of chip away at, at instilling and instituting some of these uh, best practices. But for us, the EOS model was really effective. Uh, it was a way to simplify our business, uh, make sure that we held each other accountable, monitor our results, make sure our, we were getting the most out of our people uh, and, and documenting our systems. And, and so that's been really effective for us. We, we also use something called Asana, A-S-A-N-A, -A, uh, which is a, uh, a basically a standard operating procedure checklist pro uh, process uh, for, you know, when we onboard a new franchise, for example, all these things have to get done. And so it, it, it's, you know, through an app, through uh, uh, the computer, all the different stakeholders in the business that have to do different things when we sign up a new franchise know based on Asana what tasks they need to complete. So it helps systemize the processes as opposed to just having it on a piece of paper. Uh, so those have been two tools that have been really effective for us to, to you know, simplify and 
and, uh, you know, streamline how we do things. Cause you know, you're right. I mean, t- today we've got over a hundred franchises. Uh, you know, we've got over 50 people on our franchise or staff, not counting the call center. We've got, you know, close to 200 folks in our call center. And so uh, it's well beyond my and Omar's reach uh, to be able to, uh, you know, affect everything in the business. So we've got to have systems, processes, and, and attract great people to build and, and develop those and evolve those systems even further. We are at Duden Partners, big traction supporters. We, we run it in every business. I don't know if you found there's an online tool now that actually runs your level 10 meetings that we've come to lately and it's, it times them and everything. It's really powerful. If you haven't seen it yet, I, I highly recommend it. We've adopted it across all of our brands. I'm interested. So strategy is really about closing gap and traction is what I've found to be the simplest, most common sense way to turn strategy and to take you from current state to future state with measurable goals. Your to-dos are in a seven-day world and your, your rocks are a 90-day world. And it just, it's a great cadence to keep everything, keep everything going and keep everybody aligned in what matters most, what the priorities are in the business. What I'm interested to hear from you is what happened in the daily huddle? Because sometimes when you have two different methods going, it, it can, there can be confusion in it. So you've got Asana, which is a, a checklist. I don't know if you've ever read the Checklist Manifesto. I have. Yep. Yeah, what a great book. And, uh, and Asana is a great tool for that. And then you've got Traction. So how did you, I'd be interested to know how you navigated putting a huddle in. What happens at the huddle? What's the purpose of it? How long it lasts? Would you care to share some of that? Yeah, so our, our daily huddle is at 11.11 every single day. Uh, so the idea is it's, A, it's easy to remember. It's late morning, you know, pre-lunch. Uh, by 11 o'clock, people can start winding down what they were doing to kind of get ready for huddle. And it usually lasts about 11 minutes, no, no longer. Uh, so it's kind of 11 and at 11.11. 11. Uh, and we have a same structure that we follow every time. First, it's good news uh, or praise for team members. Uh, next, it's core value review. Uh, next, it's metrics review. Uh, next, it's a uh, departmental update. So one uh, leader from one of the departments uh, each day of the week, different day uh, a leader from a different day of the week will give a quick update of what they're focused on that week. Uh, then we give a quick uh, uh, section for opportunities and announcements. And then we end with what we call move the world stories, which is our company purpose or wow stories. Uh, where it's like, you know, somebody that went above and beyond or maybe a customer testimonial or a franchise testimonial. So kind of starts with a positive, ends with a positive. We have some, you know, just quick pulse of the company uh, in the middle. Uh, and it's been, it, so when we were all working, not remotely, when we were all in person, uh, you know, it was a stand-up huddle kind of in the center of our, of our uh, building area. Uh, anybody who was not in a meeting or on a call would, would attend, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of clapping, a lot of, you know, positivity, and it was a good way to, in my view, to sort of maintain uh, or, or I should say uh, uh, alleviate the potential of silos uh, building up because folks were interacting. We also had somebody lead the huddle, a different person lead the huddle each day of the week. So gave people sort of public speaking experience uh, or getting up in front of a, a larger group and, and kind of leading a, a meeting. 
Uh, and so we started doing that early, early on in our business when we probably had four or five people and we just would write stuff down on a whiteboard as part of our daily huddle. Uh, and then it's evolved now to where the entire company participates. Now we do it via Zoom uh, in this post-COVID era, uh, you know, as, as folks are still uh, working remote in, in our organization. And um, uh, we've done some things to try to really liven it up with the Zoom. So we'll have different themes uh, each day of the week. It'll be like, you know, wear your sports jersey theme, or it'll be bring a plus one to huddle, you know, one of your spouses or your, you know, uh, or bring a pet to huddle. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we do it as a way to just try to, you know, keep the, the energy and the enthusiasm. And, and you're right, that's not part of the traction model per se, uh, but it's something that we were doing, I guess, before we even heard about traction maybe we read about it in a different book and we just continued to, to keep that piece uh, uh in place and and we've been really really happy about it that takes a lot of energy and commitment to do every day <laughs> what what would you estimate as the return on energy roe huh, you know it's 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 that would be almost impossible to to uh define because you know i'll tell you if a private equity group looked at it and said you know you've got your entire staff for 11 minutes every single day and they probably spend the first you know 10 minutes leading up to it getting ready for it and the 10 minutes after it. so that so call it 30 minutes every single day you know and you multiply that out you know over a year and you you know figure out the compensation like i've never actually done that i probably should uh they would probably tell us to cut it maybe do it once a week instead of every single day uh and you know who knows maybe at some point you could scale back a little bit but we we've uh, we found it to be a really impactful thing. You know, when, when prospective franchise owners attend, they're really uh, wowed by it. Uh, it it's, part, it's become part of our culture, part of our, our, uh, our way of, of doing business. And so, uh, you know, I, it'd be hard to put a, a, an ROE uh, or, or, or even ROI on, on that uh, commitment from an energy or, or even financial standpoint. I have one clarifying question. So the department update, it's not every department every day. It's one department each day. Yes, yeah, either one or two each day, because I think we've got like seven roughly departments. So sometimes it might be like uh, HR and legal give a quick update that day. And, and these are just tweet updates. These aren't like lead, reading a long list of what everybody in the department is doing. It's like, you know, just a quick, you know, biggest accomplishment last week, biggest focus area this week uh, uh, sort of update. Um, and yes, yeah, so each, each day of the week, it sort of rotates a different one or two uh, department head giving, giving a, a synopsis of what they're focusing on. Nick, would you mind if we went to the personal side just a little bit? Sure. So two, a couple important relationships in your life. I know uh, I, you have a family and you've grown, uh, you built, you're built a family as you built a business. So I'd, I'd love to hear about that and if one informed the other uh, as, as you were doing it and, and any interesting insights you have on that. And then I'd also love to hear a little bit about how the relationship with Omar has evolved over time, if there's anything to add in, in those two areas. But, you know, those are our relationships are so important in our life when, it, when business gets hard and it always does. Mm -hmm. There's always, uh, we're under, you know, business is full contact. We're always, there's always something over the horizon. And if you're not paying attention, things sneak up on you. And as I was building businesses, I always had to get back to my why. And it always got back to either the people that were on my team that I cared about or the people in my family that I felt that I was building it for uh, in a way. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, how you've, how you 
I'm not going to say balance because I, sure. you know, if you're, if you're not living on the edge, you're not, you have people, people that live a balanced life don't build a great company like yours. So, but how have you, how have the two interacted? Yeah, no. So I've been very blessed. I've got an amazing wife. We met, uh, I guess, a little over 10 years ago and, and uh, we've been married almost seven years and we have three incredible daughters. Uh, so I've got three girls, five, three and two months old, uh, almost three months old now. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think all of those things have been put uh, in my life to really help probably soften my entrepreneurial edge to a degree, both on the stress and anxiety side, uh, as well as on, you know, to your point, helping to, to balance out my, my view and vantage and, and scope of, of what's important. Um, you know, when we started the business, we were obviously Omar and I both in our early 20s, we were bachelors, we had nothing to think about, worry about or, or do but work on the business. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when I met Jen, and, and, you know, we start dating, she would be, you know, kind of my balance where I would come home and, and, you know, she would help sort of calm me down if we had a lot of stuff going on in the in the in the uh, in the business or a lot of stuff, you know, going on with franchises, she'd kind of be a sounding board and, and help kind of talk me through it. And, uh, and now with, with daughters, you know, all bets are off. I mean, you, you, you completely humbled when you walk in, in the, the, the house, you think you're the most important person sometimes when you're at the office and, th and then you come home and, and you realize, you know, at least I realized that, uh, you know, I'm not running the, the household at least. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been a fun evolution and, you know, it's, what's funny, you mentioned Omar, you know, obviously again, he was my best friend in high school. Uh, he met his now wife a week after I met my current wife. Uh, and we've sort of followed these parallel life stages, uh, both within the business and outside of the business. So he's married, he has two kids. Uh, we live pretty close to one another. Uh, and so, you know, as our uh, lives have evolved and changed, we've tried to, you know, stay true also to our friendship uh, outside, of, uh, outside of work. And, it, you know, it's never, it's not always uh, easy, as you mentioned, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, things come up, challenges occur. And, uh, and, and we've had to get through some of those, uh, you know, and, you know, sometimes we, we don't see each other as so as much socially because we're interacting, you know, so much on the business side. And, and so sometimes the, the friendship suffers or vice versa. Sometimes the, the business relationship suffers in that regard. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I've tried to do as far as finding balance uh, as I came up and I don't, I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I just came up with it, I'm probably not smart enough to come up with it, but I think the six words that start with the letter F and I, and I sort of uh, uh, write like a little uh, chart of those, of those words. And uh, we've got family, uh, we've got fitness, which is kind of health related. We've got friends, we've got finance, which is your business. We've got fun, which could include any of those first four. Uh, and then we've got faith, uh, whether it's spirituality, religion, uh, you know, meditation, what, whatever somebody may, may look for. And so, uh, you know, when I do my annual planning from a personal standpoint, I'll kind of look at those six F's and I'll say, okay, on a family side, you know, where do I want to try to really dig in and, and focus? Uh, okay. On the fitness side, you know, what do I do? Is it, you know, number of workouts a week? Is it certain, you know, eating? Do I want to cut, cut out my drinking? Uh, you know, on the finance side, what are my business goals, my financial goals, you know, friends, you know, is it my high school buddies I want to reconnect with my, my college buddies, you know, is it my YPO, my young president's organization group? Um, and then of course, you know, the, the fun factor is that, you know, 
Is it skiing? Is it playing with the family? Is it incorporating it? So, you know, cause I've, I've heard people talk and say, there's no such thing as balance. Cause it, you know, if you, if you put all your time and energy into the finance basket, it's going to detract uh, no doubt inevitably from some of those other baskets. And so, you know, I'm at the point now in our business and in my life, uh, you know, where I'm able to try to find more semblance of balance than we did in the early days. Cause in the early days as an entrepreneur, it's, it's, you know, it's all gas, no brakes, and, and you got to be all in uh, if you're going to try to get the results that, uh, that, you, that you're aspiring to, to reach. I, I love the six F words, and I particularly like that you include friends in that, because as we, as we grow our families, the, some of those relationships tend to fall by the wayside, especially if you're an entrepreneur and, and you're growing a business. So I have a, a question based on what you've just said. And I will point out that you've done this about as well as you could have. You've really, you've, you've, you've built a great business. You've built a great family. You've maintained a great friendship and, and maintained a partner. And it's just really impressive that you've been able to do that. So if you could tell any aspiring entrepreneur and give them encouragement to start doing just one thing today that will impact their trajectory and help them become successful as an entrepreneur, what would that be? You know, uh, there's, there's one thing that I think really uh, is more a, a piece of advice than one piece of action. Uh, it's advice that I wish I could go back and give myself in the early days when I'm starting a business, uh, which is uh, be patient. Uh, you know, have patience uh, and stay focused uh, because, you know, Anytime I would try to shortcut the success, it was a two steps in the wrong direction. Anytime I, you know, in entrepreneurs, we naturally get shiny object syndrome. So we have to temper that. And, and you know, in some cases you might, what I mean by that, is you might see a new idea. You think that's worth pursuing while also, you know, you've got your, your core business uh, can sometimes spread us thin. But I, I would get uh, disheartened and frustrated by comparing myself to other people, by uh, wondering why my business wasn't growing fast enough, why, you know, if I could just do this, then our business would get, you know, more profitable more quickly, and, and then I'd be fine. And anytime I did those things, it was, you know, it was, you know, uh, uh, damaging to my psyche, it was damaging to the business. And so I think having patience, having focus, and don't compare yourself to other people uh, would be three pieces of advice that I think a start, uh, an aspiring or startup entrepreneur should try to maintain, maybe even write down and, and, and put in front of them before they go to work every day uh, or go to sleep at night. Cause uh, you know, those three things I think are critical. You know, if, if, if you do stay focused, if you have patience and you don't compare, you're going to get joy and, and, and um, fulfillment from your, uh, your business uh, experience and your, and your venture. Nick, you've obviously put in the work, man, and that is a mouthful of truth <laughs> right there. Absolutely. Envy is the enemy of enlightenment. And when we covet or we have envy, think about it. There's always somebody with a bigger business. There's always somebody with something that you aspire to have or you aspire to be or they accomplish something. At, whatever it is, there's always going to be these people out there. And if you're envious of these people, you cut yourself out from the opportunity to learn from them. Or if it's not learning directly from them, to look at what they've accomplished objectively and ask, wow, that's really interesting. Why did they do that? If you're eaten up with the, 
the negative or the downside or, or, you know, why is my business not growing as fast as theirs? Then you won't ask the question. Maybe you, you need to ask the question, why is my business not growing as fast as theirs? You need to ask it in a different way. And so envy and it's, you know, the older we get, the, the, the easier it is for me to see how detrimental envy can be and uh, just relax, be open, you know, be, be happy and be satisfied uh, that, you know, if you've, if you put the work in, uh, have some peace about it. And, and I, th- I think be patient is, is wise words. So as you, as we talk about that and you talk about other people, is there anyone other than a family member and maybe other than Omar in your life who has been the most impactful person on your path other than a direct family member? And I'm going to count Omar in that. Yeah. Cause you guys are brothers. Um, you know, so I, the the first person who pops into my head is actually our COO at College Hunks. Uh, his name's Roman Cowan. Uh, and following the the EOS model, uh, Roman is our integrator. Uh, and so Omar and I are now co-visionaries, where we're sort of sitting in the owner's box and we're working on strategy, vision, culture. We're not necessarily the doers anymore. Uh, and Roman is the complete counterbalance to, to Omar and my uh, 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 visionary, creative, entrepreneurial uh, uh, ideas. Uh, and Roman's story is so great because, you know, he, uh, he came from very humble beginnings in Jamaica, you know, no running water, no electricity, went to college here in, in, in the States at University of Tampa. And at his senior year of college, he actually did, did a case study about college hunks hauling junk uh, uh, when we had about one or two franchises at the time. And he was really eager, wanted to work with us. We didn't have any job openings for him and he didn't really have any experience or credentials. So we parted ways, uh, you know, lost contact. He went out and got his MBA, his CPA, uh, worked in the, in the real world and in, in the corporate world and reached out to me on LinkedIn uh, of all places. Uh, and normally I just kind of ignore LinkedIn messages. And so I, I actually didn't respond. He had said, Hey, you know, I've, wanted to reach out, reconnect with you guys. It's been a while, a few years. Uh, and about two months after that, our, our controller left the company and we needed a controller. And so I, I remembered that message he had sent me on LinkedIn, reached out to him. We grabbed dinner. He had been on his way to put in a, an acceptance letter for a public accounting firm at CBIS. So we kind of intercepted him at the 11th hour. He ended up joining our company as the controller uh, has moved up to basically be running the, the, the business for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and, and I can trace kind of our trajectory as a business, you know, before Roman and, and after Roman. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just as far, and, and he's just an all around great guy. His perspective on life, you know, his experience is to be able to, uh, you know, balance Omar and Mai's uh, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, crazy ideas from time to time. You know, he, he's very good at sifting through the emotion and getting right down to the logic and, and the data and, and, but while also still being really effective communicator. So uh, I, I'll say uh, him as a, you know, most influential, most impactful uh, person that I'm grateful for who's not a, a business or not a family member uh, and, and not my business partner. Great. Thank you for that. So Nick, what's around the corner for you and for the business? Is there anything that you can care to share about your vision for the future of the business? Anything you're excited about or uh, how do you continue to, how do you plan to continue to grow yourself as a business leader and entrepreneur? You know, for us, we have always aspired to become an iconic brand, uh, one that's recognized for uh, not just moving and hauling people's stuff, but 
for the things that we stand for, for our, our uh, leadership platform, for our uh, service, cons you know, uh, fill, uh, fulfillment for our social causes and, and uh, you know, social engagement. And so uh, we want to really sort of continue to sort of manifest that vision into a reality. And, and we do that by continuing to really grow the brand and double down on what has gotten us to this point, innovate, evolve, improve. Uh, I think, you know, College Hunks can really be a platform for people to experience personal and professional fulfillment for our employees, for our franchise owners. Uh, so we want to really maximize that uh, as, as to, to its fullest potential. I think there is the potential for us to become perhaps a platform brand as well, where we could have, whether it's other services or technology uh, that, you know, uh, integrate with uh, the, uh, the core offering that we currently have. Uh, and so that's kind of the next chapter for, for our business. Um, you know, we obviously with three young kids, I want to be able to make sure I, I devote enough time and attention to them before they grow up and, and are out of the house. And so that's kind of the next chapter for, for, for Nick and for College Hunks. It's fantastic. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I am very grateful and have enjoyed our conversations. And I know that what you have shared is going to help a lot of people. If our audience is interested in learning more about your work or anything to do with College Hunks, where can we find you? Sure. So I have a personal branding site, nickfriedman.com, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, nickfriedman.com. Uh, but then they can also learn about College Hunks by just simply going to collegehunks.com. They can learn about our franchise opportunities. They can learn about our moving and junk removal services, uh, connect with us on social media. So uh, that, that'd be the best way to go about it. That's great, Nick. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for what you're doing for entrepreneurship. Right on. We will link all of Nick's work and references in our show notes. And until next time, away we go. Thank you for tuning in to The Jeff Duden Show. Interested in learning more about something I referenced in the episode? Check out the show notes for links to content and more. If you enjoyed my podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Until next week, you can find me at jeffduden.com. Thank you for listening.